Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So, AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So, welcome and enjoy. Hello, Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Um, so. <laughs> I'm laughing before this interview <laughs> started. Um, today I have with me Mona. Hi. Hi, Mona. Um, and Mona is a American-Palestinian stand-up comedian. Did I get that right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay, so we're gonna we're just gonna get into it. Khalil asked us to say to sit close to each other. And we're too close. Can so you hear? So but now we're very close. You didn't ask for surname. You didn't say surname. Oh, so you sir, I know, you, you say your surname. My surname is Abermashan. Abu so my full name, mm-hmm. my full name is mm-hmm. Mona Muhammad Abdurrahman Abramishan Al Qadajit. If you can text that out to me right now, if you can spell <laughs> all of that, I'll give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> okay, no, I'm, yes. gonna, I'm gonna. So yeah, I go by Mona Abramishan. Mm-hmm. Mona. Okay. So so I'm gonna go with Mona for this interview. That works. <laughs> okay. So we're just gonna get into it. Okay. Um, and we're gonna ask. I'm gonna ask you the first question we usually ask, which is, so who who is Mona? Who, who is are Mona? You? Yeah. So I am, I'm an international comedian and speaker. Mm-hmm. I am also a business owner. I'm an educator. Uh, I have a nonprofit organization. I have a talent management company. So I'm an entrepreneur, you know, okay. but yeah. my, my love, my vice mm-hmm. is stand-up comedy, is speaking. So I guess I'm a modern-day philosopher. Okay. You laugh. <laughs> I'm laughing because I She's laughing at, at this at this me. point I don't know when the, it's gonna when you see this or you you okay oh, you see this no I'm modern day philosopher <laughs> that's not funny <laughs> so, it's the truth if you laugh naturally not looking at me but okay. yeah I don't know I I mean think about okay. if you think about your your philosophers mm-hmm. they they look at society and then they tell it mm-hmm. and they come up with you know engaging conversations so that's really what comedy is in my opinion so I'm gonna get into the into your passion into the comedy. Um, in a bit. I just wanted to know the so the business, the entrepreneur thing. What is that? What's that all about? So one of the things I found is that um, in in entertainment, there's a level of b- making profit off of the toxicity of the artist, mm-hmm. right? The addiction or whatnot. Yes. So the, when I says entrepreneur, meaning I want to help fellow comedians that are using their voice for good and mm-hmm. empowerment. I want to support and encourage their journey. So whatever that looks like. Yes. So a lot of stand-up comics uh, are, are gravitated towards agencies, and there's very few talent agencies or management agencies that really honor the, the holistic performer. So, for example, one of the clients I work with, she's in recovery. She's an alcoholic re- yes. recovery. And so I always make sure that, hey, have you gone to a meeting? Have you worked out? Okay. You know, versus what Hollywood seems to perpetuate is, I can make more off of my artist when mm. they're troubled. You know, if Justin Bieber does something wacky, yes. he's in the yes. news, yes. therefore he has attention, therefore I, my agency gets it's about the hype yeah. of those things. Yeah. It's all in perception okay. versus a comedian that's happy, healthy, and grounded mm. now can feel safe enough mm. to have deeper mm. conversations that they clearly are having. So comedians assess the world around them. They mm. can assess it from fear-based mm. And then relay it and try to get the audience to believe them, mm-hmm. or they can access it, find the funny, and have a funny, engaging conversation, which 
is a totally different experience. So that's why I okay. want to manage and support really comedians. Okay. So that so that side of it is that the because I saw on the post it says uh, Mona Comedy. Mm-hmm. So is that the name of? So yeah, it started off. It started off with my business, Mona Comedy, because as a comedian, we really are our own independent business. Mm -hmm. We're our own HR department, booking department, marketing, all of it, Mm -hmm. right? So I've gotten myself a coach, and I worked on my own kind of business model. Then, especially when coming to Cape Town, Mm -hmm. and you see the talent is just Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. I saw, huh? You know what? I wonder if other comedians actually have the kind of support I'm yes, looking for. Yes. Then I go to Palestine. Then yeah. I go to Switzerland. Then mm-hmm. I go to Europe. Then I'm yeah. like, oh, there's so many comedians out mm-hmm. there. Like it's blowing up in Malaysia yeah. and a lot of the West doesn't know how much comedy is going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe they need support as well. Mm-hmm. So if I meet different comedians, I offer them the opportunity. Hey, mm-hmm. would you want to be part of it? And mm-hmm. we now have acquired about five. Mm-hmm. And that company is named Pangea. Mm-hmm. Pangea Management. Okay. Okay, so Does that make sense? Yes. So yes, that's yes. its own entity yeah. where we're managing. I happen to be a client of that. Okay. Right? Even though I'm kind of the owner. Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. But we, yeah. we work on managing. We work on yeah. making sure. Yeah. So we have a whole video team that does the video production. So most comedians need material mm. to show off. Mm. And But to have a comedian teach themselves editing, mm. teach themselves mm. all that stuff, it can be all time consuming. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So we okay. provide all that. Okay. So that's going to bring me then to the to the next question. How did you how how did this become your career? How did you get into comedy? Right. Yes. Okay. So um, my the story that I always tell, which is the truth, is that I got bullied into being a comedian. Okay. So I I'm the oldest of three mm-hmm. of three girls, and I was finishing up my I had just got back from Namibia. I was doing my master's thesis in Namibia, mm-hmm. and. I don't, it was just where the family was together and my sister out of nowhere said, Mona, you need to be a comedian. And I was like, what, why? Like, I was just confused. It was yes. out of nowhere. Yes. And it was basically, she had, I don't know if Divine spoke to her, but she said, you, you work really hard and you love making people laugh and you have really great accents. You need to be on SNL or something. Yeah. And I, and I really had to face that I thought comedians were stupid. I thought comedians were stupid. I thought actors were stupid. And I was on this journey of being misintelligent, but I wasn't overly happy. Like the more information I got about the world and multinational corporations and the injustices and blah, 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 blah. I was just like, yeah. Yeah. And it resonated with me because as a Palestinian, when I was ra- being raised in the States, we're constantly going to protests and marches and more marches and more protests and blah, blah. It's like... At the, the end of it, being pro-Palestinian, you kind of feel disempowered every day, all day. So, but doing comedy, I could say those things in a funny way and leave people feeling free. Yeah. So when I looked, when she said that, I was like, huh. Then she and my mother bought me comedy classes, stand-up comedy classes, improv, comedy classes for women. And I'm like, wow, you're really aggressive with Your this. Your mom as well. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. My mom was hardcore. And yeah. the thing is, yeah. my mom's white. Yeah. Okay, so you know how white moms are. Like, oh my God, sweetie, I love anything you do. <laughs> you're just so wonderful. But my dad yeah. is like, Ugh, like, <laughs> what, you're not going to get married? This? You're going to be a professional clown? You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so beautiful yes, yes. because impressing that man yeah. has been my goal yeah. and it's made me do things mm. and accomplish mm. huge achievement just to impress this guy. Yes. And I said, one day I'm going to make a yeah. million bucks yeah. because you driving me crazy. Yeah. He's like, inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and bring it back. Right, bring it home, and I want some of that money. Yeah. So yeah, it was really yeah. my family that yeah. pushed me, my yeah. family that supported me, mm-hmm. and th- and I. That's one of the things that's really beautiful is we often think we can do everything alone, mm-hmm. but really the people that are around us are our mirrors. Yes. If somebody in your family annoys you to no end, yeah. that's because they are you. Yes. That's your yes. greatest insecurity looking in your face. You're like, ah. Yeah. Right? So so your mom is, um, she, she is American. She or... was born in the States. Okay. And then your dad. And my, but hold on. Okay. My mother was born in the States. Yes. Her father has been in the United States from when it was established. That's how long the lineage is from okay. her father. Mm-hmm. He was a soldier in World War II mm-hmm. and went to Europe and went to London and met my grandmother there. Okay. Wow. Right? right. And so she came to the States yeah. and she'll, she's British. I'm, yeah. I'm half British. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm a proper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you have this rich, rich lineage actually. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So I say on stage, I say, okay, yeah. so I'm, I'm Palestinian, Muslim, Brit, born in the States. I speak German. Yes. Right? Yes. Did my master's in Namibia. In the States, they think I'm Mexican. Here, I'm colored. So easy. See? <laughs> you're just putting anyway. See, I've been in everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. So long as you're willing yeah. to acknowledge yeah. those that diversity. Yeah. In the States, I found it extremely challenging, mm-hmm. you know, to be seen. So mm-hmm. in the States, we don't see color. We don't see color. And while that may seem all nice and mm-hmm. airy-fairy, when you don't see color, you don't see their identity. Mm-hmm. You don't see the the difference of having like a vegetarian samosa because you're you're vegetarian yes. and you're Hindu yes. and a Muslim samosa that has meat in it. Yeah. They're almost made different. Yeah. So you have to see color because then you you see the person, you acknowledge them. So so growing up with that, so with your dad, your dad, I'm assuming is then Arab. He's mm-hmm, Palestinian, Palestinian, and your mom was you said white. Yeah. So what was that like? What was that childhood like? Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so how much you say you're yeah. so okay. It's the perfect. It's the perfect. Or like yes, yes. Or like another one you guys do is sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Like where you're like figuring things out, yeah. man. You're like, I love it. So um, my mother converted to Islam before she married my father. Okay. So her level of Islam was like. Islam light. It was like diet Muslim. Yes. Okay? Like, come on. Islam light. Islam yeah, light. Said, okay. Right? Yeah. It was probably, it, it has more of a Cape Townian vibe, honestly, where it's about choice. If she chose Islam, she chose it. It wasn't forced on her with a dogma of rules and regulations and obligations. So in our home, and also that's the other thing, is that in the 70s and 80s, especially in early 90s, Islam in the Arab world was secondary to pan-Arabism, right? Pan-Arabism was uniting all the issues that were going on in the Arab world. Islam was always secondary because in the Arab world, you have Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Mm -hmm. So to prioritize it in the Arab world didn't always make sense. So that's usually what Arab Muslims take with them. They they take, yeah, this is like, you know, our birthright. It's Arabic, you know, fine. So let's figure some stuff mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it was growing up. It wasn't okay. until the late 90s mm-hmm. and early 2000s, mm-hmm. especially with the 9-11 stuff, that Islam became front and center and you had to be Muslim. So when my father was trying to instill kind of this, this dogmatic approach yes. of you have to cover up, I'm like, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make sense. You didn't grow up that way. Yes. You know, yes. it kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So my journey with Islam, my mm-hmm. journey with my identity mm-hmm. has always felt a little lonely mm-hmm. because it wasn't always reflected in my parents. Mm-hmm. But it was something I would pick up 
in the different places I lived. So at 13, my, my family insisted on sending me and my two younger sisters mm-hmm. to Palestine alone. Now, you know, if your family doesn't like you for summer camp, for the holidays, they send you, they send you to occupied Palestine. Okay. Okay, nowhere else, okay. right? No other place on the planet is still under like major occupation. Okay. And then you send a 13-year-old girl, a 10-year-old, and a 6. Oh, okay, so I was going to say, so you're the, el- you're the eldest. I am. Oh, okay. I thought you so there's three of us okay. alone. Yes. He's just like, yeah, just go, good luck with okay. that. Yeah. My father, I don't know. <laughs> I hope he's watching right now. Okay, and you and didn't make you stronger. And I have material for, for your comedy. Totally. <laughs> it don't, that's the thing. You know, yeah. that's why yeah. that's why South Africa yeah. is the perfect place for comedy because it's a pressure cooker. Yeah. It's been a pressure yeah. cooker. Yeah. And ev- under those kinds of circumstances, mm. that's where the laughter mm. releases mm. all of the yes. all of the tension. So so what happened in the strip? So now I'm really interested in this. So you were 13 years old and you were with your two younger sisters. Yeah. And I'm assuming you went to family and they were spamming. Right, but I didn't know what they looked like. Yes, yes. So okay. I, I was walking around with a picture yeah. and I land in Palestine I'm oh. like whoa and I obviously no digital nothing yeah yes. right this is before yeah. like snapped like hey yeah. <laughs> I can't check in what's up you know yeah. there's no whatsapp group letting sure. me know I landed it was the late it was wow. no it was 1993 yeah yeah some of you weren't even born <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that <laughs> yeah um so I landed wow. and I was protective of my of my sisters like they're my kids and I kind of looked around and when you're looking for f- Arab family amongst Arabs it's like impossible yeah, yeah. That's, they all look the same yeah. I mean I didn't I didn't want to be racist but I'm like are you my uncle no are you my uncle no are you oh well no you know so when I, when we when I so got you, there so, so, you, so you had a photo in your hand yeah of the fa- of, of like one person yeah who was like your dad's brother yes oh, exactly wow. okay, exactly okay. and hopefully he made it through the checkpoint what if he had made it to pick me up yeah. and he stuck at the checkpoint yo god was watching this is all good okay right? okay and then the first my first experience driving to our village was up and down the sides of mountains mm. i'm like oh my god i'm gonna get sick mm. but when you see the valley when you see the vineyards mm. when you see the olive trees when you see the holy land yes Truly, you're like, oh, I get it. You know, kind of like when you're in South Africa and you see the beauty. Yes. You see the ocean yes. meets the mountains. You're like, yeah. I get it. Yeah. You get why people fought so hard for something. Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm, I can't even imagine this. So, so you, you get there and so now you... You you in Palestine for how long are you there? I was there uh, there for three months. Okay, so you were there for three months, and you comp- I'm assuming at that age completely immersed into everything. Yeah. yeah. And um and then you went back home. <laughs> and what was that? Like, so was so that that's the other thing is that my father didn't. My father and my mother don't always speak to each other. Okay. I, don't, I mean, they must, but they're yeah. not necessarily communicating. So my mother prepared us. Yeah. Remember, I'm 13. Yeah? yeah. I didn't pack myself. So she prepared us like we were going on some vacation, on some cruise in the Mediterranean. Yeah. Shorts, bathing suit. Yes, yeah. Yes. No, like, your vacation. Yeah. yeah. We didn't... Had she been to Palestine? No. Okay. <laughs> and did anyone tell us that it's like one of the most religious neighborhoods <laughs> in the whole country? Yeah. I mean, our town is right next to Khalil, Hebron, which is the yes. home of the Abraham tomb. Yes. You really can't get more Muslim. Unless you're living it in the Dome of the Rock yeah. or in Mecca, yes, okay? Yes. This is like hardcore. Yeah. So everyone's covered, not like not with a face, but mm. just mm. hijabed. Mm. Like you wear, you know, cover, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm showing up with shorts. Everywhere I went, they kept giving me a towel. Yeah. Not a towel because I'm going to the beach. <laughs> a towel because I need to cover up. Yes. So yes. that's the one part, right? 
So then I'm like, wow, I really got a sense of my of my identity from the other perspective. Yes. So so those of us that are children of immigrants, you are whole once you visit and live in the homeland of the of the origin. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're always a copy of a copy. Mm-hmm. Right? A copy yeah. of a copy. Okay, I'd be I've met a lot of as I've performed all over the world. I've met a lot of Palestinian, for instance, Palestinian uh, diaspora expats born and mm-hmm. raised but don't have a tie to Palestine so, so they're never been yeah yes. so they they often don't don't allow themselves to be critical of it they often don't understand certain certain idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Palestinian life or even just the bread mm-hmm. so their identity again is a little mismatched mm-hmm. so I was able to get that mm-hmm. then what wh- and then I understood Islam from their perspective like yes. pray five times yes. a day don't be a jerk you know yeah. kind of yes. weddings are separate which yeah. are boring yeah. but you know yeah. seriously what, what no, weddings separate that, who are you gonna flirt with well. other <laughs> women like come on <laughs> come on huh? <laughs> how do you know if there's never mind we'll go into that later it is potential is what you're saying yeah yes. right because okay. you go to weddings to yes. flirt yo like yes. that, how are you going to meet other people yes. just aunties no you want to check out stuff for yourself maybe the aunties have sons yeah and yeah they can right arrange the marriage yeah. right that's what that's the, that's what I lived in yeah. okay trust me I get it anyway so so I actually became more religious mm. myself so mm. I started praying and I would come home and I would pray and my dad's like what are you doing yeah because he didn't pray Okay. He was. This was before his awakening, before his hedge, oh, right? Yeah. So I started. I would pray, and he would like walk over me. He's like, "Come on, hurry up!" Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right. And then at some point, like it's hard to keep up, yeah. and you're a 16 year old, yeah. and so it kind of faded out. But again, this journey of being a Muslim Palestinian mm. American woman mm. has, in in essence, been a self discovery, mm. self discovery. And there are times where I never felt fully safe. Yeah. being who I am yeah. within the family or within the different communities. But as I've grown up and now that I'm turning 40 in, in March, I kind of like, I, I really feel like I have, have a perspective mm. that others want to hear mm. as well. So the Muslim community, for example, in the UK, mm. if they were born there and their parents taught them Islam and their parents were learned from their parents, there are, there are women and men who are praying and saying words they don't, they don't understand. And then they'll say to me, Mona, I wish I was like you. I wish I meditated. I'm like, didn't you just pray five times a day? Yes. Well, no, I mean, I can talk to God better in English. I'm like, he speaks English. He's probably got Google Translate. (laughs) He's going to figure out what you want. Yes. Also, just what you radiate. So I found that the spirituality of Cape Town, the Cape Town Muslims, feels so much more authentic and tied to the spirituality of it. Right? Like, why when we pray, we put our, our, our third eye on the ground? Mm. Why with the, the misbaha, we call it misbaha, mm. the beads, right? Yes. Why, what's the intention behind this stuff? Not just because my mom and dad yeah. better make yeah. sure that I pray. Then, you, mm. then oddly enough, they're your prophet then. Yeah. They're your God if you're making yeah. sure you're praying because of your parents. So that's kind of I my think um, that's just a very interesting because as, as Kryptonians, we don't, we don't often realize. Once you, like if you've born here and you've been raised here, you don't realize the value of what we have oh. yeah and it's so it's such an ex- accepting you know like you love exactly how you explained it now you know it's everyone's just accepting of one another and you're just so free to practice yeah. the way you, you need to absolutely um so i'm just gonna go but before the interview you, you see something very um interesting so um you you see you you're from chicago right mm-hmm. um so you were you born in chicago i was born in chicago. chicago born in chicago and then you said you go back now but 
only when there's a purpose for you to go back. To Palestine? Did you say that about Palestine or was it Chicago that you were speaking about? I don't know. What was you the question? Say, you said that you go, was it Palestine? Oh, yeah. So I go to Palestine. Yeah. I, <laughs> I go, I, you caught it. Okay. I go to Palestine and I produce comedy shows there. Okay. Okay. Yes. I do it in Ramallah yeah. and I'm with another team, um, 1001 Laughs, Amr Zahar. We do comedy festivals there. Okay. 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 When I'm there, mm-hmm. visiting my family mm-hmm. can be a bit of a challenge because they trigger me. Okay. Because they're so conservative. So I'll come in, like, hey, how's it going? Let's give some gifts. Oh, cool, yeah. we're good? Yeah. Don't try to arrange my marriage. I gotta go. <laughs> okay. So in, in oh, my... Now I see what you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go okay. in That's and I'm like, all right. And mm. like, I kind of like mm. Ramallah more because mm. it's a far more progressive. It's yeah. got a hodgepodge of the Christians and the Muslims. So yeah. it feels like a much more modern city. Okay. But my, my base, my family is still right next to uh, Khalil, so Hebron, and it's okay. right near there. And I'll go into Hebron, go to the souk, okay. and support it, but are you Are you here often? Are you in South Africa and Cape Town often? My, my relationship to this country is really old. Um, the last time I performed here, though, was in April, and I'm back now in Jan. Mm-hmm. And I sense that I'm going to have an office here. I just... Okay, I'm just telling you because I, I stalked you a little bit on Facebook yeah. for the interview. And yeah. then I saw, because I saw that you said home number two, I think. You yeah. said about Cape Town. And then I was like, wow, I didn't know you, you're actually coming. And so so you so you do comedy here as well. You do your shows here. Mm-hmm. Where is that? So I know you have one, you have one today. So I, so I have one today at Nomad. Yeah. I'll be there yeah. at Nomad. Um, but I did uh, from the 14th of Jan all the way till the 30th, mm-hmm. I was performing here. And I did the Cape Town Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know the thing is, I'm a comedian. I'm bad at promoting myself. Okay. That's why you have to get can, people who like to do we that. We can help. We can help. All right. We can help. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad. Um. So, um, there was a question. So then I went. I did shows yes. in Durban, yes. Joburg, and now I'm back. Okay. And I'm gonna. My my intention here before I go is to do at least one comedy workshop for kids because that's other my nonprofit oh, is H3O okay. Global, which is a nonprofit. A comedy workshop for kids. And You're going to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think I may have locked in a library yeah. to do it in. But teaching kids, not just kids, also anyone who wants to try improv, comedy performing, mm-hmm. really is such an empowering method and tool for kids to know their voice. Mm-hmm. With regards to the material of your, of your um, comedy, is there a theme with regards to kind of what because I don't know how this works so yeah. is it like kind of a theme is it just what life has has thrown yeah, you yeah, yeah. what is it that is your main or maybe your main message or your main purpose or so overall the intentionality behind why I pick up the microphone mm-hmm. is always um, creating affinity mm-hmm. in the room mm-hmm. creating a connection yes. um, having the audience feel understood so whatever comes out of my mouth was the perfect thing so long yes. as they feel understood yes and hiding whatever medicine that's evident, hiding it in the food. So when you make people laugh, they're listening to you. So not to take that for granted. What do I actually want to say? Yes. What have I thought about? What what inconsistencies in two different things by noticing it can maybe provide healing for the audience? Wow. So here's a good example, okay? One of the things that everyone asks me in, in South Africa is, what do you think about South Africa? Mm. And I say, I love this country, but it's time you guys turn off the TV. Stop watching America. Because America is giving you bipolar disorder. And the reason is this. First off, our country is named America. Why? When we celebrate Christopher Columbus, right? America was named after Amerigo Vespucci. He was an Italian explorer. 
Mm-hmm. But instead of calling ourselves Colombia after the guy we keep, keep celebrating, yes. right? We have a, we have an inconsistency, this nice name, but we celebrate a, a murderer, like a like a murderer. He used to ride humans like they were animals. Christopher Columbus. South Africa's named South Africa. Why? Because you're in the South of Africa. Yes. Next question. Yes. You see that yes. there's a transparency just in the name. So if I can have conversations where I'm able to highlight some idios- inconsistencies that may have impacted your worldview. So for example, the United States spends the most amount of money on weight loss products and weight loss this and weight loss that. And we are the fattest country. On the like on the planet, I'm surprised yeah. the Earth doesn't like totally. off its rotation <laughs> yeah. because of us. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're looking, the United States and South Africa have had this really beautiful relationship all through apartheid, right? Because you're looking at America as it went through its civil rights movement and of empowerment of diversity, but now it's gotten so toxic that the yeah. white women are shoving collagen in their lips and in their behind, so they look more African, but they're still killing African Americans. So this it's important. Because the true thing that Americans are seeking, like whole history, integrity, mission statement, empowerment, you guys actually have it. You know your history. You Listen, the Cape Malay conversation is slavery, right? Yeah. There's a healing there, whether it's through religion, whether it's through art. There's, there's a healing in this country that's happening, but constantly comparing to the states is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it's also... One of this country is it's important that you have the, the the safety to heal. Like the United States, when when we we declared independence in 1776, we were in, we were essentially almost an island. We didn't have social media. We didn't have people trying to sell us drugs. We didn't. There wasn't all this coming yeah. from all these directions in like inhibiting our healing. South Africa has that. So like for example, let's say you and I, we got it out of an abusive relationship, yeah. right? And it's bad, but. Someone's like, you know what? I know you're feeling insecure. I can offer you this pill right now that won't make you feel so insecure. And you're insecure. She's like, oh, okay, I'll take the pill. So, or the alcohol or whatever it is. So I think the, the messages coming from the States is not helpful. And I think that looking to others for the healing that's obviously yeah. necessary is, can be dangerous. But the, the comedy and the art and the music that's being generated is yeah. very, very healing. So, so that actually brings me to, to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because you said you, you work with the youth and yeah. you, want to, you want to do uh, the workshop. And mm-hmm. all of that. So, so what is it, what about the youth, I'm going to start with the more negative one, but what about the youth is it that concerns you? What is this concern? I think, I think the youth are growing up faster than their, mm-hmm. than their brain is allowing. So when a kid is two years old and when a kid is 16, they, their brain actually is going is actually changing faster than language can keep up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that dynamic, if you're watching extreme pornography, extreme violence on TV, mm-hmm. if you're getting messages of like you know some of the young boys get messages from their parents or their their sports coach, yes. um, don't be a sissy. You throw like a girl. Yeah. Man up. Yeah. Don't cry. These are messages that that as a young kid will stick with you to the point where imagine when you're a grown man you don't like girls right think about if you don't don't be a sissy don't throw like a girl you're you're programming that programming them right so that's that's one thing that really does concern me the other thing that concerns me is here i noticed in durban and in uh joburg 
are mm. the youth have American accents when they speak English. I'm like, why, why do you sound like an American? Yeah. Well, I, well, I watch TV. I'm cool. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Do you still speak Zulu? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, you know, it's just not man. If you lose your mother tongue. Yeah. That's what Black America has. They've yeah. lost their mother tongue, and there's so it's there's it's beautiful and there's healing. But it would be like me being a Palestinian living in Palestine, and I can't speak Arabic. Yeah, that's that's dangerous. It's a major part of the identity. Yeah, yeah, it's a major part. Yeah. So that's the one thing that concerns me. Now, in terms of youth, generic around the world, mm-hmm. um, I see through the kids' comedy classes that I'm doing, there's a great fear of using your voice your voice, or knowing that you can. So the thing that inspired this kids' comedy class back in 2010 or 11, 11, was getting to know that Dave Chappelle, someone I have great reverence for, knew at 13 he wanted to be a comedian. Now, you can know something, but it is in the support of your family that allows your dream to come true. Just like I got bullied from my family, he got supported. So at a young age, this guy was 13 years old, his grandmother and his mother took him to the local comedy club where he then performed. And he yeah. saw his power. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, man, imagine if all 13-year-olds knew what they wanted to do at a young age. And so when I bring it into the class and there's just this innocence of play, whether it's improv games or writing, the kids are learning how to assess the world around them and then relay it to one another. And it's very powerful when a kid can make a room full of people laugh. They see they have power. That their voice is valid. Yeah. So I've seen kids that have severe speech impediment through the workshop that, again, the, the length of the workshop is really dependent. My favorite ones are ones that last a lot longer because you can see the kid evolve. Yeah. This young girl went from not being able to speak to hosting the show. She was ho- and they, Her speech teacher started coming to our workshops instead of she going there. And there's research shows in our so in our organization we have um, we have people who have done research that shows the impact of of comedy and healing whether it's with OCD with uh, post traumatic stress with dementia right Alzheimer's one of the things they teach people who are dealing with Alzheimer's patients is you have to lean in to your family member that has delusional um, visions or whatever, you have to lean in and play the game with them. So if your, your grandmother has Alzheimer's, she's like, and she keeps calling you your father's name, play with it. Yeah. You can't just cut it off. As it yeah. Because it, it, yeah. it makes her, f- mm. you know, it affects them. Mm. So comedy is extremely healing and empowering yeah. for kids. Yeah. And also. So, so the, the, well, the culture of comedy, of stand up comedy specifically, um, I think, I think it's evolving now within, especially within the Muslim community, like in South Africa specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I still there's still a lot of resistance. So when I think um, generally when a when a Muslim kid tells their parents, still mm. this is what I want to do with my life, mm-hmm. the resistance is still very much there. Mm. What kind of message would you give to the to the parents? Okay, so a couple things. One is you guys are in a bit of a bubble. Makes sense. So right now in Malaysia, stand-up comedy is blowing up. It's it's so popular. In the, in the Middle East, extremely popular. Yeah. And oddly enough, comedy has always been in religious communities, only in a different kind of a cheeky where it would be a guy that would do a one-man show yes. and he would dress in different costumes. Yeah. Okay, So comedy has always been there. But the dynamic in which we're doing it here is a little bit more sensitive because think about it you have you have one person on stage in front of the masses 
with whatever their ideas are. There's no music. There's no acting. It's just me speaking yeah. my, my opinion. And in some countries, that's tyrannical. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Because, uh, sorry, you just yeah, go ahead. But also, in, in, I mean, in some ways, when you're in front of the stage and it's just you and your thoughts and you're relaying it, you quite vulnerable. Yeah. And so is the country. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, what, what if you say overthrow the king yeah. and this whole group of people are listening to you? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's why yeah. it's important, first off, that the comedian know what they're going to say and why they're saying it. The other component is that I think in comedy in general, the way it's promoted, especially in, in South Africa, and I keep, I've been telling anyone that'll listen, it's too closely affiliated with alcohol. So the major sponsor in this country okay. is Savannah. Mm. And, I, and I'm like, Savannah, you need to come out with a non-alcoholic beverage because comedy and alcohol or comedy and a bar is actually not synonymous. Speaking one's truths, having, having um, going somewhere and having an order tell a story is not threatening. So, for example, in, at Timbuktu, it's a yeah. cafe, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a cafe and the, most of the comedians are non-Muslims. Yeah. But that room is so packed, yeah. so consuming, right? So the art, the art of storytelling is there. But the idea of modern comedy, has, it has a dangerous vibe to it. It has a toxic Hollywood. Um, it just it has a unreliable, unsafe vibe, yes, yes, right? And our right. community is yeah. self-preservation and safety. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, I noticed that um, the value that we put on a comedian, the fact that we don't see them as the modern philosopher, the fact that we see them as the modern clown or the modern whore, no offense, yeah. right? Yeah. That kind of value is gonna is gradually changing. I'm seeing that it's mm-hmm. gradually changing. Mm-hmm. And third, and most importantly, is that especially in immigrant communities, they only want what's best for their children. And whatever they think is safe is what they, they put on their kids. All you ever have to do is convince your parents that you're good, that you're going to be the best version of whatever it is. And eventually they come around. So my dad, like I said, made fun of me for being a clown. But when he sat in the audience at yeah. Carnegie Hall and Kennedy Center, and I'm the first Palestinian, first Muslim, first Arab woman ever to do comedy in that institution. He shut up. Yeah. And he took me seriously. And he's like, whoa, yeah. she's a visionary. Because immigrants, immigrants are actually visionaries. Yeah. When, you're, when you're bold enough to leave your community of comfort yeah. and go clear across the world for a better life, you're a visionary. Yeah. And when the kid gets and the parent, they get each other and the parent is like, oh, whoa. My kid's a visionary yeah. and breaking ground in different ways. Mm-hmm. And that person is going to do it because I love them fully and I got their back. That, that comedian, that, that artist, that musician, that doctor, whatever it is, that person is going to really have an impact both on the community. Like when I, most of the time I walk anywhere in this country, I'm the first Palestinian they've met. Yeah. Right. So have I let my father down? No. He's just like, whoa. Yeah. And I'm like, dad, you got to see the Muslims down here. Yeah. The Muslims in Cape Town, they're so spiritually in tune. Like, my dad would sit there and be worrying about something. I'm like, so you pray five times a day, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're a hedge, right? I'm like, yeah. So then, so then you think think God's got this, right? Because you pray. What are you worrying about? Yeah. Leave it up there. He's yeah. like, Mona. <laughs> I love Sundays with Mona. So yeah. <laughs> you see, I'm only a product yeah. of my society, yeah. but it's I had to have belief in myself that what I was pursuing was worth it, yeah. and I had to prove to my parents I wasn't going to half-ass it. Mm-hmm. 
Because you, what, how many, how many doctors in our community are half-assing it? They got loans up the yin-yang. They got a wife they think they should marry. They're spending too much on their house. They're in debt. And all they want to do is probably play a guitar. So, so, I, so I say follow your heart. So what has it done? Like, what has the journey done for you? Um, I am, you, you obviously very, well, in my opinion, very confident. Um, and I don't know if this has always been how you've been or, but what is, so those kinds of things, what is, or, you know what, let's go back to your first, to your performance. first performance. What did that do for you? So it was the first time, my first performance. So it was, the, it was a comedy class for women. You had five classes and the finale was a show. Mm-hmm. I hated the classes. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm funnier than these people. Yeah. <laughs> And but the but the finale that which is the show in front of a whole live audience, yes. which I incorporate this man this is this pressure cooker yeah. of performing yeah. is the part I include in the kids comedy classes. They have to feel that pressure, yeah. because then you go inward. And I it was the first time I'd ever talked to myself. I had always sought the approval and support of others. Yeah. It was the first time I'm like, all right, Mona, just don't throw up on the stage. Mm-hmm. Everything's gonna be fine. Just sure. just have fun. Yeah. And uh, you got this. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever done it. Yeah. And then wow. for every comedian, when you get that first laugh, mm. it's like, what? Because oh, yeah. these people don't know you. Yeah. And you're just reflecting some observation you made at the gym or yeah. something, right? That was the most rewarding thing. And it made me feel like, okay, now... I had studied international law, all this stuff, all the freedom fighting, all the empowerment. Yes. I'm like, nah, one little joke that lasted 30 seconds or a minute in a five-minute set made that room understand me, me understand them, and everyone left feeling great. Mm. So that that's the beginning. Mm. What led up to that point and what has gotten me here now has been me shedding different layers and beliefs that I had at a young yeah, age. Yeah. So my history I talk about on stage is my weight loss. Mm-hmm. I used to, I lost 75 kilo. When, wow. what, what belief system created the weight? And then what belief systems have been removing it? And that's, that's a long journey. And I'm not sure you have enough time for this podcast to me to tell you all that. <laughs> I guess I'm going to, I'm going to do the, uh, the complete the sentence. I did send it to you. So yeah. I'm sure you have some kind of idea what you can answer yeah, yeah. already. Yeah. Okay. So we, we actually just, we just started this like in our last interview and it went well. So we're okay. going to go with it. So the first one is, Allah is. Love. Love is. Play. The world needs. More play. Happiness is. Freedom. Happiness is the joy of a child at play. Complete freedom. They, they go to the park with no keys, no ID. They're not worried if they have the right shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not worried about their phone. They just, yeah. just go until they like can't. And they come home smelling like outside. Yeah. And they're like, give me food. Mm. What if, what if, <clears throat> what if we're all just grown kids? If you took ice and a glass of water and the ice melts, mm. is the ice gone? No, it's just changed its form. So you're a child that's now just bigger. If you ask my mom sitting here, for everyone watching, and if you ask my mother, she'll tell you, I'm still a child child. There you go. (laughs) Not even even an adult child. You're a child child. child. And that's good. (laughs) One day you're going to thank God that she kept saying that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and then success is? Success is, it all makes sense. When all the dots connect... When the pain that you went through makes so much sense now because of the cool thing that you can do because of having taken on not succumbing to the pain. 
being a Muslim to you means? Being a Muslim to me means a, such a blessing. It means acknowledging the God and spirituality in others as well as myself. And most importantly, being a Muslim means of service. I am 100% of service. Wherever I'm supposed to go, let it be, let it show up. Wherever I'm not supposed to go, let it show up. I take divine inspired action. And whatever, before I step on stage, I say Ole. And if you look at the history of Ole, Ole is the Muslims in, in Spain saying, Ya Allah, meaning God use me as a divine tool Whatever comes out of my mouth is on you, bro. I got, I did all the homework up to here. Yeah. I wrote the jokes. Yeah. Da, da, da. I stand on stage. I say ole. And yeah. whatever comes out of my mouth, there's been times I'm like, what did I say? Okay. And then the last one of those all leadership is. Leadership is the day you realize you're living your life's purpose and your life's dream. You're now responsible to help others get theirs done. Period. I, I'm just going to go back to the question before that. <laughs> when when uh, the question was being Muslim to me means. Um, and it was very interesting because... Um, I also do the thing where I'm like talking to Allah and like you know I think a lot of a lot of people have that kind of relationship and we what what is that what is that like like for you if it's if you want to answer the question yeah 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 uh, if it's not I don't actually I don't think I think a lot of honest yeah. to God I think a lot of people and that was part of my own mm. is my religiosity my relationship to mm. God I had to remove my dad mm. because I kept having I didn't realize that subconsciously. Mm. I had it as this fear-mongering, this like punishment, do yeah. this, not that, bad, good, mm-hmm. hell, heaven, all that stuff. It, if, if you remove the parent for once and for all, mm-hmm. stop blaming the parent for everything and just be like, yo, where do I got to go? What do I got to do? Let it show me evidence. Make it be so loud I can't ignore. Yeah. You know, there's a reason I'm here. What is it? And then something hits you right in the yeah. face. Or if you're in a situation, say, yo, I need some support right now. And then some girl will walk by and the shirt will say, be your own superhero. (laughs) If you pay attention to all the signs that are right there the whole time, it's not about your parents. It's not about being rich. It's not about that dumb car that you think you need to drive. It's about the other people. When you go to an audience and you look, I stand on stage and I look at 30, 50, 100, 10,000 people staring at me. They're all... They're all in the same space. They all want, they're all in search of connection, connection. And so being connected to the people, really seeing someone when someone's like, Hey man, can I get 10 bucks? Say, so I'm sorry. I don't have it. Yeah. Really seeing people, seeing people. With regards to, because I mean, you are, your dad's Palestinian, right? So I'm, so you've been there. I haven't been to Palestine. So you've been there, I mean, many times, I think. Um, And what, you know, because Cape Town or South Africa, we are very, very generally majority, I think, of the countries very pro-Palestinian and um, we are the people that do the, pro- the massive protests. And what what kind of message do you think, like, from Palestine, what do you think they want us to do? Or what do you think we should be doing with regards to the, to, yeah, the occupation? So, hmm, I my theories on on Palestine is a a little bit more progressive than a lot of people would want from me because of I go everywhere and I see people's relationship. And in South Africa, there is a no, oddly enough, a no here, no see evil. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I have my opinion and I don't want to talk about it, which is dangerous 
Because is, even if you're super pro-Palestine, if you have neighbors that aren't, it's important to connect with them. Understand why. Understand where it comes from. Underst- understanding a- another person's opinion yeah. is both is important to understanding the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that's that's can be like very sensitive, mm-hmm. but I really believe that the um, the healing that's going on within Palestinian culture for like I'm always saying, okay, we get independence. That's why I did my masters in Namibia. I looked at post-apartheid urban planning. What happens after independence? Who can run the country for real? For real? Like I'm sitting there at a boardroom and you've got UNDP, you've got the Dutch, all of them have paid for the poverty line. Then you've got SWAPO sitting there and they have to crunch the numbers. Not a one of them knows statistics. So when I, for me, I'm like, okay, Palestine, what are we going to do? Where's our statisticians? Where's, I want us to have a healing conversation because freedom fighters are awesome. But freedom fighters, if they end up becoming your leaders, are going to give you a reason to need more freedom fighters. So that's really this convert. This is not in my hands, yeah. but that in in a perfect world, yeah. and people might f- hate me for it. In a perfect world, we just bring down the stupid wall, shove the two f- ugly ass flags together, and call it the Holy Land because it's the Holy Land, and move on. Because the Jews were there. The Jews have always been there. Pa- I'm I'm probably a Jew. <laughs> Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. I mean, real talk. Mm-hmm. To think that you weren't is naive. So shove the dumb flags together. Palestinians and Israelis have always worked together anyway, anyway. My best friend is, you know, like, and the thing is, like, I would get interviewed. I got interviewed by Deutsche Welle, the German news agency, right? And it was me being a a Palestinian comedian, and next to me was an Israeli comedian, right? And the German said, Mona, so, in your honest opinion, as a Palestinian, what do you think that the Israelis are rude? I'm like, dude, you caused this problem. Don't instigate more. <laughs> this is your fault. Yeah. Don't get in the middle. This is yeah. your fault. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. I think having, having lived mm-hmm. in Germany, and, and when you see those concentration camps and the fact that more Palestinians aren't going, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. You want to know for real, for real, what my opinion is on Palestine and Israel? Go to a concentration camp. And when you see the pain of your, of your perceived enemy, they're never your enemy ever, ever again. But that's not a reason to perpetuate. That's a, it, deserving of acknowledgement for real. Yeah, it's intense. I'm telling you. Yeah. Some people <laughs> don't like what I gotta say, but I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of soften the <laughs> mood. I was gonna ask you to do an accent, and then you just oh, yeah. you got. <laughs> I got so too many. Spot on. <laughs> What's your favorite one? Which accent? Yeah. Um, do you ever favorite? I think the Latino accent okay, let's go. because it's like listen. <laughs> Like, everything's at, like, a party, you know? Like, you need more Mexicans and Puerto Ricans down here because it's like, okay, let's have fun. It's Tuesday morning, and we're going to go dancing. I'm like, no, I got to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> but you want to go dancing suddenly. So, I mean, have you ever seen an, an angry Latino dancing? No, it's like, okay, let's okay, we can do it. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I don't even know. Um, okay, so have you all have any questions? I'm gonna ask my last question. Do you have yeah, any? I think we have okay, so we're gonna make you also really late. So I just the last question is um, if if this is your your final message to everyone listening, if you had a, a final kind of yeah message, what would that what would that be? The, my final message would be stop being so hard on yourself. Find the little kid in you, whether it was a food that you used to like to eat, bring back the little kid. Because now you're wise. Now you probably got the money. Just go live life like with the joy of a child at play because that's really all we are. 
Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been an awesome interview. Thank you. Really, thank really you. enjoyed it. I hope thank you do. And all the best. Yes. Alf Shukar. Thank you so much. So that's it for today's show. We hope we added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.